Hey everyone, welcome to the first episode of Rent Free. On today's episode, we have a great interview with Ryan Gilmartin, going through his time playing high school football in the Charlotte area and what the recruitment process looked like for him, what his opportunities were outside of UConn, and ultimately what drew him to UConn. His thoughts on Bob Diaco and Brandy Edsel, as well as a plethora of different assistants that came through the doors while both of them were at the helm. We also get his thoughts on the current state of UConn football, as well as interim coach Lou Spanos and a variety of other things as well. Honestly, this was one of my favorite conversations that I've had. Ryan was a great guest and really energetic and was very enthusiastic and excited to be on the show. Hopefully, all my future conversations continue to be this way as well. I'm really appreciative of Ryan taking the time to join me and share his time and perspective on how things are going with the UConn football program, both in the past, present, and future. Without further ado, Ryan Gilmartin. I'm now joined by Ryan Gilmartin back in Charlotte after finishing up school. Ryan, thanks for joining. Yeah, Drew, I appreciate you guys having me. Absolutely, absolutely. So let's talk real quickly about how you left UConn and then you were transferring. I think you originally committed to Eastern Kentucky, is that right? Yeah, I did. I uh, I committed to EKU, like peak pandemic, um, just kind of waited on some other offers I thought I was going to get out of the transfer yeah. portal. Um, unfortunate, but ended up decommitting and then flipping to Jacksonville State in Alabama, um, probably like a couple weeks later. Uh, just had to end up making a, a decision that was in the best of, of my interest, I feel like, and uh, ended up planning that, you know, fake COVID season. Had a pretty serious uh, surgery after an appendectomy that, that I lost yeah. a, a ton of weight and just decided to kind of move on from football. But that's sort of where I've been the past year and a half post UConn. That's great. That's great. And obviously, I'm glad to hear that you're back healthy now. And, and it's tough, obviously, going through something like that. But glad to hear that you've been able to, to move forward. And so you're back in Charlotte now. Is that right? Yes, sir. Living at home, kind of waiting to job search and, and figure out exactly what it is I want to do. And also finishing my master's at Jacksonville State in uh, emergency management. They were kind enough to honor my scholarship once I told them kind of, wow. you know, I'm That's done. Great. Yeah. So definitely kudos to that staff. I mean, Coach Gross and, and all the people involved there with that, are, you know, I'm super thankful that those men were put in my life and I'm able to have two degrees now. Never would have thought that coming out of high school, but so I'll be done in December and then kind of start working hopefully here in Charlotte in the next half year or so. That's awesome. Well, let's dive into that a little bit then. So obviously you were planning to work in Charlotte, but you also grew up in Charlotte and you played actually in the same high school conference that I played in. I'm a proud Providence Day alum and you went to Charlotte Christian. Talk to me about that experience. What was it like playing at Charlotte Christian? Um, I mean, it was awesome. It was a dream come true. I uh, originally was was zoned for Weddington, thought that's where I'd be playing and everything. But, you know, I was approached by uh, Coach Step and kind of fell in love with everything they had going on there. I think a, a, a Christ-centered education was, was really cool and important to me, um, being Catholic, you know, defending the faith and everything now. It opened my eyes to a lot of things that I Absolutely. wouldn't have been exposed to going the public school route. But as for football, I mean, three state championships and four conference championships is, is, is pretty solid for a high school career. I, uh, I had a lot of fun playing those games, a lot of fun beating PD every year. So. <laughs> 
I have uh, I have nothing but good things to say about Charlotte Christian. So obviously that's an incredibly impressive resume uh, from high school. Pretty hard to argue with that success, and that success obviously led you to you know be able to play football after high school. And would love to dive in a little bit to that recruitment process, what it looked like in terms of you know who else was offering you and who specifically from UConn was recruiting you, your relationship with the UConn staff, right. you know what ultimately drove you up to Connecticut. So it's actually funny. First, I, uh, my first love was the cross. I, uh, I had a bunch of offers like freshman, sophomore year of high school, thought that would be the path I would take. As soon as I hear that, as soon as I hear that, I think RKG from the Bob Diaco days. Right kind of guys, dudes that are multi-sport athletes and yep, you know know the formula for success. So we'll definitely, we'll definitely jump into that. So yeah, ESTEP was like, you know, if you keep playing the way you're playing, you're going to get, you know, big D1 offers. So I made a decision in sophomore year. I was like, you know, I'm going to go with football. Uh, Football's a full ride. Lacrosse is not a full ride. Yeah. Uh, a lot more people are watching football. And obviously, I, I think I love football more. So my first offer was sophomore year, uh, Wake Forest, and then, you know, Army, Toledo, Ohio University, Iowa State, um, Coastal Carolina. A lot of schools offered me. I think UConn was one of the last schools to offer me, like late, late junior year. It was Wayne Lindenberg, who I think is the quarterback's coach at Wake now. Yeah. Um, he offered me. He was my recruiting coordinator. He came to see me and my family and have dinner at my house probably four or five times. Um, great guy. You know, a lot of respect for him. Southern draw. Definitely felt like yeah. I was at home talking to that man, you know, when he's eating my mom's steak and potatoes. So yeah, that that whole process kind of meeting Coach Lindenberg and, and feeling like UConn was a, a good sized school that would provide a great education that I probably couldn't get just going to school as a student was right. a huge selling point. But then meeting Bob Diaco for the first time was like, you know, hitting the nail on the head. Like it was a done deal when I met him the first time I met him on campus. Um, how you know, perfect, I, when, you, when you saw him the first time, I have to interrupt, how perfect was his hair and did he oh, wear man. red pants? Dude, he he had some pants on. I don't know if they were maroon or the, you know the the crazy ones people always call yep. for, but uh, he was like not scheduled to even be on campus. And then he comes in and he's like, "Hey, like, you know, I know we offered you. Like, would you mind sitting down with me for a minute?" And now you got so picture this. This is me, my mom, dad, brother, and my cousin who just came along to see the campus, all <laughs> yeah. sitting in Diaco's office, and him being like, "You know, I'm not going to tell you to commit." But I think you'd be a really good fit here. And, you know, a lot of coaches will be like beating around the bush and tell you you're going to be a star. But Diaco told me, he's like, we're going to recruit linebackers that are bigger, faster, stronger than you. And, you know, you're going to have to fight to get on the field. But I felt like him keeping it real with me and and really telling me, like, you're going to have to push yourself to get on the field here was like a challenge. Like, okay, well, if you don't think I can do it, then. So I knew just from the minute we're both like high energy guys. He played linebacker in college, right? He was super successful doing it. Uh, kind of the same build as myself. So like naturally, like you're, you just gravitate towards a guy like that, you know, to summarize big TV market, playing these power five schools, just got to a bowl game, top 20 defense in every category nationally. Um, a defense where the inside linebacker can make double digit tackles every week. It just seemed like a no brainer. Uh, I got to talk to Poindexter, Anthony Poindexter, the the DC, you know, he kind of gave me like the schematic breakdown of, of really what would be happening with that defense and how they've had success in that 2015 season where they went to the bowl game. You know, they're playing SEC teams and holding them to single digit scores. So, which sounds crazy right now, talking about UConn football holding SEC opponents. To yeah, seriously. No points. But at the time, it seemed like this is the best team I could play for, 
right? With the best opportunity. So yeah, also my my family is from upstate New York. I'm pretty aware of like what's going on up there. I I like the cold. It was cool to like get out of Charlotte and like go see another part of the country that I would, you know, for any other reason, never see in my life. So yeah, stores might not be like a super like sexy place to commit to, but I uh, I enjoyed my time there and I, I liked it. That's awesome. That's that's obviously a great background and everything you said about Coach Diaco, you know, from a, a fan or a follower standpoint, you know, seems to be the same thing. High energy guy and one of those guys that everybody amongst the fan base seemingly gravitated to and really wanted to see oh, yeah. succeed. And, you know, after they beat Houston in 2015, you know, it seemed like yep. things were really pushing in the right direction. And I was even at that Missouri game, you were talking about holding an SEC team to single digit points. And um, I mean, it was really hard to not be excited about UConn football. And now, unfortunately, you know, we've transitioned to a, a state where quite the opposite. I think excitement is difficult to find. Um, so I guess let's talk a little bit about, you know, you're obviously recruited by, you know, head coach Bob Diaco. You mentioned uh, the other coaches on the staff as well. The transition from, you know, coach Diaco to coach Edsel, what were your sort of first thoughts, reactions? What did that look like? Um, you know, I really didn't think much about it. I felt like it was more like, well, you know, college football is a business. Like we didn't have a great season, you know, three and nine, whatever it was. Diaco and athletic director, Dave Benedict's personalities probably clashed a good bit. So that was, you know, another driving force. I feel like in my mind, you know, my dad and mom are obviously freaking out. Like, you know, go follow Diaco to Nebraska. Like it was such a good fit. Like you don't know what this guy's going to do. You don't know who he is. You don't know who his best interest is for, right? And I was like, nah, that's not how it works. Like best player plays, like who cares, you know? And like I said, UConn's a great school. I had amazing teammates that, you know, I love. I consider those guys my best friends. And uh, that just didn't seem like a need to really leave at the time or jump ship because it was like we have the players you know we have an established defense I don't need to go anywhere right and so you know you make the decision to stick it out and you, you sort of mentioned you know the idea that best player plays and um, you know you had a lot of really good players on the team I'd love to get your thoughts on the first season you guys have you I think you won three games under coach Edsel two of them against FBS teams and obviously the record was disappointing but you know, things didn't necessarily totally bottom out. I would be very curious to get your thoughts on just sort of what that first year looked like under Coach Edsel, the culture that was kind of being developed and maybe how it differed from Bob Diaco. Yeah, so we start off and I try to remember who it was we played. I mean, it seems like it didn't matter who was our coach. We had just a hard time with FCS teams, right? Yeah. Beating that BS team, it was just like tough. But I didn't really think much of it because – it was kind of a, it was similar to the year before. So I, there were no real red flags, right? I mean, Virginia, that game kind of got out of hand, but we were in it the whole time. We beat Temple at Temple. Um, and then Tulsa we beat Tulsa the next week, yeah. right? And I was like, okay, like we're, we're putting some games together here. Towards that end of the season, it just seemed like there was no effort or like no desire to keep winning these games. And I, I do need to say something. So like before I start on this whole Edsel deal, um, yeah. I'm not a Randy Edsel hater. Like I have no vendetta against Randy Edsel because, you know, this, that, and the other, like, oh, I didn't play enough or, you know, he ruined my NFL chances or anything like that. Like, I don't, I don't hate Randy Edsel, the man. It just, when I came to UConn to play football there, you know, nine hours, 10 hours away from where I live, it was to win football games and, and compete right. championships. Right. 
And it just seemed like very short order that he had no intentions of pursuing that when he got there. I don't know what the plan was, but it was not that. So let's let's pivot into that then, because I'm very curious. You say he didn't have you know intentions to win championships or compete to win games. Uh, in your opinion, like what does that mean? So I think first you need to start with just kind of like content of like not his character, but kind of what he tried to do that first year. Right? We're talking about that first season. There were three guys that were walk-ons that Diaco put on scholarship. Right? Within the first ten days of Edsel being there, he took those kids' scholarships away, and I was just I was blown away that you could do that to some kid, like a, a twenty-year-old kid, like kids that know? played. In it wasn't like these kids were just like backups and like didn't like have a role in the team. It was like you went from walk-on to scholarship which is like the mountaintop for, for college football player. And then he just pulls it out from under them. I get it. I get it's a business, but I just feel like that's not the first thing you should do when you arrive. Something, something Diaco would, would not have done. Right? Absolutely. Then you kind of get into like the, the years after that, where he's, it's the real struggle, right? You go from three wins, you know, you're, you could have probably won four or five to the worst defense in the history of college football, right? And I think it's the worst statistical defense since World War One or something crazy like that. That year we start off with a three-three-five defense. Okay. Billy Crocker comes in from from Villanova, had a ton of success there. I think they're a perennial playoff team in the in the championship subdivision, right? That defense obviously wasn't getting it done, but wasn't abysmal, right? That first season we were probably like 80th, 90th in the country. Bad, but not like, you know, what not the worst his 2019 team was yeah historical college football yeah yeah so we start the season off not that not that great midway through that year randy decided that it was his turn to basically be our defensive coordinator so we go from a 3-3-5 to a modified 4-2-5 it changes the scheme it changes the terminologies it changes everything right so now you're learning an entire new defense in the middle of preparing for a team to play yeah. So not to mention, like, it's a new defense for everyone from the year before. So you've gone from now Diaco's defense to a 3-3-5 to a modified 3-3-5. Do you, happen to remember, do you happen to remember which week or which team you guys were preparing for when that oh. change occurred? Mm, you, we started with UCF. Then it was Holy Cross. Yeah, Holy Cross. I'd say it was probably, like, week four to six, somewhere in there. Like, okay. just out of nowhere, right? Yeah. And for me, like playing middle linebacker, you've gone from three to two linebackers now. Right. So now my playing time has gone from a little bit to none. So naturally, I'm not happy. It doesn't let's matter. Talk about, let's talk about that for a second, too. I want to I want to push on that. You mentioned a comment earlier, playing the best players and yeah. you know, playing time and practice time and all that stuff. Right. Did you feel like the people who were performing the best in practice or who gave UConn the best chance to win by showing it in practice saw the field on Saturdays? Almost never. Like I really? would say 50, 40% of the time. Like, I'm not saying that it's me personally. Like I started in games at UConn. I played, you know, a couple of seasons. I have no problem saying that there were guys like that were more athletic or better than another guy that was my friend. It's not like that. It's just, there were guys that were physically better like noticeably better football players that would give us a chance to win that were not on the field. And it was confusing to me. It was like, at first it was like, I don't, you know, I don't get it. Like what, what's right. going on. Right. And then as you grow older, you're like, well, who's, who's guy, you know, which right. is bad because that's not how it should work. But if you're losing with your young players that you brought in, it's like, well, just give me time. 
you know, making that excuse over and over, right? Instead of playing guys that you have, uh, I don't, I don't know how that works better for someone. So, did you, was this something that was ever brought up amongst you know the players, or like talked about amongst other players, or was there anybody who you thought that wasn't playing that should have been playing that you know showed frustration? Oh, in the locker every room day. every day. I mean, it would be like a post-practice conversation like why isn't this guy playing why isn't this guy at this position and like we understand that like coaches have a job to do and they 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 might think they're doing the right thing or putting people in the right position but uh, a majority of the time that was not the case mostly it was like bringing younger kids in and trying to have them go immediately and play when we had guys with two three you know even four years of experience and playing and practicing with college players that wouldn't be given a chance for, you know, whatever reason. I don't, to this day, I do not understand why that was the case, but you could go into pretty much every position, O-line, D-line, you know, back seven, everything. Like there was at least one or two dudes that had no business starting with a clear starter in front of them that should have been playing that was not playing. We talked about the worst statistical defense in right. you know, all of college football. And, you know, we talk, the, the logic that was given out from the staff was, you know, we're so young. We have a lot of young guys. That yeah, kind of while stuff. you have older dudes sitting on the bench. That leads to a lot of folks, you know, entering the transfer portal and, and oh, leaving yeah. UConn. Do you think the primary driver was playing time for a lot of these people leaving or was it more because of the type of culture that was developed or not developed under the staff? Yeah. I would say a mix because you had a lot of dudes that were starters that would leave. Right. I mean, if you just look at last year alone and I'll, I'm definitely going to miss some names. So I started Cam to George started Nino Leone started Tyler Coyle Taj started Keon Dixon. Yeah. I mean, Keon, that's the year before even like I'm just talking about this past season. Um, Oh yeah. And there's more too. I'm I'm literally blanking on names, but it's like that's a ton of starters right there. Yeah. Like Eddie started the year before he left. It's just it made no sense to me in the sense that like you're not even trying to keep these players. And what's crazy? It's actually crazy about that is so senior day comes around, right? And we're playing ECU, and I'm just now dressing again because I. Sh- I shattered my ankle like the day before we played Houston and I came into Edsel's office and and basically he's telling people like, Hey, if you want to walk on senior day, like it's no skin off my back. Like just tell me so we can like do a presentation and like a celebration. So half of us that are like, dude, forget this are like, we're already in the portal and like they want to do the senior day extravaganza. And then half of us are like, I'm still going to ride it out, even though I've been mistreated like this. And there's like a half, it's like half and half. I go into Edsel's office because I'm on the other side that doesn't want, really want to leave at all. And I, I talk to him and I'm like, it's just me and him in his office. And I go, listen, like I, you know, I've given this program everything I possibly can, right? Like I have no intentions of wanting to leave, but if it's something that, if, if you want to play someone next year, that isn't me, you need to tell me now so I can do something for my best interest and start searching for schools. And he's like, listen, man, you, you just got to do what's best for you. So senior day comes and goes. And then he tells me basically like two weeks later when I could have got my Jersey framed and like flowers, right. from taking pictures. He's like, yeah, we're going to go with a younger kid. I'm not going to say names, but like, we're going to go with yeah. that. So it was just a shock. It's like, why can't you just, if you, if you, want us to leave you should have told us to leave when you first got there 
instead of wasting yeah. time for three years. Let's uh, let's rewind a little bit. So the, the transfer this well, the transfer stuff happens, and I, I'm curious about the mood in the locker room, the mood amongst the other like members of the team. You know, are people sort of questioning the head coaching staff? Is it the assistant coaching staff? Like, what's the overall culture, and you know, how are people feeling? Um, toxic doesn't describe the real vibe enough, but it's like every day, like you're questioning from GA to position coach to head coach, like, is this really what I should be doing and putting my time in? Because like the end of the day, like I'm going to be sitting there watching a freshman play. The outcome is not good. And then we come back and we repeat it for 12 weeks straight. And then the next group of freshmen come in and he tries them out. And then now those kids that were sophomores, like, Hey, what's going on here? And we're like, we told you, dude, like, this is what we've been talking about. But no one wants to listen. So then each year, it seems like it just snowballs into the lack of trust is just kept getting worse because there was no I mean, there was no dialogue between coach and st- like, I feel like no coach besides Spanos, who we'll touch on in a sec, was willing to like stand up to Randy and be like, listen, like you, you got to You got to play this guy. Like, yeah. no one- no one was willing to do that because they might have been scared to lose their job. They might have been scared to be, you know, yelled at or demoted. I don't even know, but there was it just was there was no, you know, open relationship or open forum for them to to express how they felt. I know this is the offensive side of the ball versus you know where you sat, but I'm curious about Brett Lashley came in and left after okay. a year. So I've been waiting to tell this one. Now, this is a one. One removed story. So this is coming from Bob Diaco himself, okay? This is the exclusive content I'm giving you right now. There's a kid I played with who decided he wanted to remain nameless that was in a – basically on a call with Bob Diaco. And this is how it really went down with Rhett Lashley. So a lot of people think – and the the Edsel Twitter mafia might have a field day with me for this one. But a lot of people think that Randy or David Benedict brought in Rhett Lashley. That is not the case. Bob Diaco was set to hire Rhett Lashley, right? And he goes into David Benedict's office to have a meeting about, you know, this, the, the state of UConn football, right? Right. And I guess egos got involved and, you know, who do you think you are? Definitely left someone's mouth and basically said, you don't tell me how to run. Diaco said, you don't tell me how to run my, my football program and I'll find an OC when I'm, when I'm ready. And then Bob Diaco was fired. So yeah. it, I mean, it all adds up. Like I, I can't say I was in the room for the conversation, but I have heard from Bob Diaco to one person's mouth to my ears. Like, yeah. So naturally Lashley gets in there and Edsel's the head coach and Edsel's, you know, a little older. So, you know, Lashley probably thought when he's gone, I'll take this over, which would have been great. I love Ray Lashley. Right. I asked him if I could play fullback when I wasn't playing it. He's like, really? Yeah. um, I feel like Lash, obviously, it was obvious to see Lashley and Edsel couldn't stand each other. And Lashley was like, yeah, I'm going to get out of here. And now he's he's, he's at Miami, which, I mean, they didn't have a great game, but they're doing a lot better than UConn is. Yeah. That's fascinating to hear. And I mean, there was obviously some people, I think, that had maybe thought that, um, you know, Rhett and Randy had either contrasting interests or styles or personalities or whatever you want to say, but yeah. it's interesting to sort of get that that bit confirmed. Let's jump into another assistant coach who you mentioned earlier and who's now the acting head coach at UConn, 
Yeah. Coach yeah. Luspanos. He's definitely a Twitter fan favorite. He's oh yeah. Uh, he's done a great job of, you know, marketing the program and marketing himself. Talk about your, you know, initial impressions of Coach Spanos and then, you know, your relationship as it evolved over time as well. Yeah. So definitely my favorite coach at UConn. Probably favorite coach ever since I've been playing football, right? Wow. I've been playing football for like 15 years. So uh, I love that guy. I have nothing but respect for him. I just am always rooting for that guy. So to rewind, I met Spanos, obviously, when he's kind of getting introduced and we had just gone from the last DC. Was it Crocker, right, to Spanos? I believe so, yeah. I'm, I'm getting old, man. Either way, so I'm like kind of season stretch lines. He's not really saying anything to anyone. He's like kind of just staring at like who he's got, like personnel-wise. And he just like, we just are like, we're like nose to nose almost. And he just looks at me and goes, hi. And then I didn't talk to him for another like week. <laughs> Right. So I'm terrified of this dude, but naturally I'm old enough now to where I'm like, I'm, you know, I only got one year left. Like, I don't care. Like, I'm just going right. to, I'm just going to do what I got to do to play. We're doing a competition lift and everyone's jumping around because we won or whatever. And I shove, I'm talking like run up and push this man. Right. To like, just see where, you know, where he's at. Like I'm checking, right. his, I'm checking his vibe and he flipped out on, he was like, he was like, don't push me ever again. And I just knew, <laughs> I just knew it was like super stern, super serious. Yeah. But once we got into like just football and like learning what kind of guy he is and like what's important like to him, like he just loves his family and wants to see us do well. And that's all he cares about. And, you know, he made, he really did like reinstill my love for football again. Cause like I was obviously, you're not winning a lot of games. You're not playing a ton. He gave me that chance to play. And I just, I respect the hell out of him. You know, I love the guy. I texted him not thinking he would even reply. I got a new number. So he probably didn't even, I don't even know if he knows how to use a phone, but he instantly texted back and he was like, dude, love you. Can't wait. And I was like, man, like I'm just rooting for those guys. I don't know if the result's going to be any better, but it's just awesome to see that someone that like really genuinely cares about the kids is now like at the helm of that program. That's awesome. That's, that's really great stuff. And, you know, again, from everything that we can see from the outside as well, he's obviously a beloved figure and, and a, oh, a heck yeah. of a pace he's too. Nuts. He's, he's nuts. Yeah. He seems like an awesome guy. Absolutely. I was waiting for this for a long time, right? I was waiting to be able to kind of discuss what, what was going on, but more so to like root for my alma mater, you know, like that's a big yeah. deal. Like it's hard to be, I know everyone says it. It seems like every UConn podcast, everyone that's reached out to me is like, UConn's just like the butt of a joke. It's like, yeah, I mean, it's funny for a while, but after a while you get sick of it, especially being like, well, where did you play? You know, and you have to tell them, like, I went to UConn. Uh, it gets old. And it's just like, now it's like, we can turn the page and like, it, we, it might not be good. It might not be good for a really long time, but at least they're working towards improvement instead of, staying in this stagnant world of excuses and like just right. things up to try and save your job or whatever it was. Let me, let me dive into a couple other topics on that as well. You sort of mentioned, you know, the, the butt of the joke or, you know, playing football for, for UConn. And I'm very curious to hear what your thoughts were about just playing football at UConn in general. Obviously the school is fantastic, but it's, you know, a basketball first school as evidenced by, you know, the, the move to independence and, and yeah. rejoining the big East in all sports, but football, two questions for you right off the top in terms of conference affiliation, just 
one, you know, how, how quality was the, you know, league that you guys played in before there was multiple top 25 teams that you had the opportunity to play and draft picks. And, you know, I think either a couple of years while you were there, you know, more draft picks than the big 12, it was a very good football league that, yeah. you know, maybe the UConn fans didn't necessarily appreciate as much. Just what was your experience like playing in the AAC and, and how do you think independence looks for the program moving forward? I mean, you look at the AAC, right? So when I first got there, Houston was kind of like the top dog with Greg Ward and all those guys. I mean, but until we beat them, they were undefeated. And then they beat Florida State that year. But even after that, I mean, you had Houston was always good. Navy was a top 25 team. Memphis was a top 20 team. Uh, UCF, yeah. I mean, the, the, acclaimed, yeah. the acclaimed national champions. Um, yeah. So when you're in a conference like that, you know, and then the middle tier teams are are doing pretty well too, like the two lanes of the world and, you know, it's ridiculous. So like, yeah, we weren't great, but you got to look at the teams we were playing. Like, I'm not saying it's, it's not the ACC, but it's, it's probably better than the Pac-12 top to bottom. Yeah, It's just so much talent. It's all the kids that feel wronged that aren't in the power five. I mean, that's, That'll do something to a kid's psyche. It's like being FCS or FBS or being a walk-on or being a scholarship kid. Like, yeah, you know you're going harder because you know the guy across from you thinks they're better than you because of the school they go to. But Absolutely. even out of conference, I mean, we're playing Boston College. I think one of the coolest things ever was getting my first start the second half of Boston College in a in Fenway Park. Like, how crazy is that to even say? Like, just the experience overall. Like, it. I mean, I would have loved to have reached the postseason and like win games, but like overall, I, I mean, I loved playing for UConn and and being in that environment because if we were good, it would have been we would have had support, right? It, it wasn't some Mac school where you know five thousand people show up and you're a bowl team. That's you know that's not what right. UConn is. So good and bad, right? Yeah, absolutely. Do you think uh, independence gives UConn you know a chance to? succeed is it the right move for the program long term i mean when it first happened i definitely like thought they were kind of running away from competition i think independence is tricky because it kind of leaves out that contract for a bowl also the consistency of like knowing who you're going to play with like home and homes and contracts like that are voided i think you can make probably more money i think it's probably better for uconn overall for us to be independent because the aac is definitely you know kind of spinning out now we're losing some teams yeah yeah, departures to the big 12 and all that like that's gonna hurt the aac so i feel like like you said basketball first we're in the big east again that's a great conference and independent is going to give us a chance to play some crazy teams out there i mean i'll be at the clemson game so i'll be as will i yeah, yeah, so we'll find each other there. Well, yeah, that's right. all. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for joining tonight. I really appreciate you taking the time. Like I said, and it's great to have another Charlottean that's a UConn alumnus, and look forward to seeing you down at the Clemson game. Thanks for yes, for sir. You got it. I appreciate you having me. Wow. So what an awesome interview with Ryan. He had some really interesting perspectives on not just how things went in high school and his relationship with Bob Diaco, but also just on how things went in the first year of the Edsel era and how they sort of evolved over time. It was good to hear some perspectives on the inner workings of the team and how that kind of played out and ultimately the decision to move on from Coach Edsel and now his thoughts on Coach Spanos, who you can tell he really loves. It seems like the team has really bought into Coach Spanos and despite not necessarily winning any games since he's been at the helm, you can tell the effort has been there and the team is trying really hard. I think that, as much as anything, makes UConn Nation proud. Watching games where the team doesn't give up, continues to fight, 
and plays all four quarters equally as hard. I'm really appreciative of you guys taking the time to listen today, and I hope that you continue to tune in and listen next week. We'll continue to grow together, and we'll continue to grow the podcast together. If there's any suggestions for segments, guests, opportunities to improve, or things you just want to hear that you don't think are covered anywhere else, please leave a rating and a review, and I'll be happy to respond and get back to you as soon as I can. Thanks again. Go Huskies. And I'm looking forward to being on this journey with you guys.